Hey, what's up everyone? My name is Michael Sorensen. I'm shooting today from my basement in Burnsville, Minnesota, and just wanted to share some scripture with you. The scripture today is from Psalm 95, one through 11, Genesis four, three through five, and Romans 12, one and two. So let's get into it. Psalms 95, come let us sing for the joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God and great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, and as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared it on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Genesis 4, 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Romans 12, 1 through 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Well, welcome friends. Thank you, worship team. And thank you, Mike, for your reading today. Uh, we just acknowledge you in the comments. Thank you for saying hello and giving us your prayer request too. Um, we're praying for you, specifically Magnuson's at this time um, with the tragic car accident uh, of Zach's family and want you to know we're with you in the midst of that. Well, things are definitely getting long this summer and I know that we've had some, some things that we are waiting for, like Specifically, we're waiting for what the, the governor um, and the Department of Education might say on in-person worship. So it can feel like 
uh, the summer's getting long. And I know I find myself saying, how much longer, Lord? How much longer for figuring out school? And how much longer for the racial injustice that we're facing And how much longer do we have to endure partisan news and polarizing uh, opinions from our media? And how long until we can physically worship together again and actually see each other's faces not through a screen? These are just some of the questions that I've been asking God about how long, O Lord. The one I want to focus on today is actually about in-person worship, because I think many of you are asking this question among the others, and I think it's an appropriate question to ask, but I think a better question to start with than the question of in-person worship is actually uh, a question about how we worship. It's better as in like it's, it's more beneficial for us, it's more energizing to us, it's a more sustaining question, that is how can our worship be acceptable to God whether it's online or in person, whether it's alone or outside in a church community or, or not in a church community. How can that be acceptable to God? Now, it's possible that you just stumbled onto our live stream or someone shared it with you. And so you might be thinking like, what in the world is acceptable worship? So allow me to back up for a moment and start with just this idea of worship. And when I say the word worship, don't assume God or church because we all worship. Author and founder of the Passion Conferences, Louis Giglio, says that worship is the activity of the human soul. So if we're all humans and if all humans have a soul, then even if we're not Christians or religious in any way, we do have a soul. And if we have a soul, then that soul is made to worship. Consider some of the things that we are missing most right now, especially as Americans. Is it not human or is it not music concerts, sporting events, and summer festivals? Those are some of the things that I've heard of. Now, consider what these things have in common. There are crowds of people coming together. They're declaring their allegiance for this thing, either with their voice or their attendance. They're either clapping their hands or shouting or singing or standing in awe or even eating with pleasure. I would say that all of these things are forms of worship. See, if you look through history, every culture from every continent through every age has worshipped something, either a god or many gods or some form of god, humans have always been drawn to worship something. Something to exalt, something to magnify, something to adore. And in worship, even the word itself is about worth. It's like Matthew said earlier, it's about ascribing value or ascribing worth. Worship is about recognizing what is most valuable and then responding in the most appropriate way. So each of these Bible readings today reference worship either being acceptable or unacceptable. 
For example, Psalm 195 gives this rather obscure reference to not hearing God's voice, having hard hearts, and resisting God's testing and therefore not receiving God's rest or God's acceptance. Second Romans 12 talks not about human sacrifices, but about a sacrifice that is acceptable. And lastly, Genesis 4 talks about two brothers who bring two offerings. One is accepted and one is not. So what might God be saying to us and about worship in these stories? Well, let's briefly look at each one. First, uh, Romans 12 highlights our response. As Mike said, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. See, the author gives this exhortation to give our bodies to God because of all he's done for us. See, this person who wrote this, this apostle or disciple and church planter, Paul, he's telling the people in Rome who are trying to follow Jesus that they first need to recognize God's revelation, a fancy word to say, recognize all that God is and all that he's done. Consider what is valuable, if you will. In fact, what is most valuable? And he would say it's the mercies of God. God's mercies are beautiful and abundant. They are new every morning. God is full of compassion. He's patient. He's slow to get angry. He's forgiving. And in the best sense of the word, he's jealous for us. That's all part of what it means to be wrapped up in the mercies of God. And when we consider that, Paul says, when we consider that, we respond by offering our bodies, not just our physical bodies, but our whole being, not dead as a sacrifice, but alive and set apart by God because of what, not what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Acceptable worship then is recognizing how valuable God is and then responding with our whole being. Not just some um, physical or external performance, but our whole selves, mind, body, spirit. See, that connects to the second reading. This Psalm 95 gives us a pattern for worship. It's about recognizing and responding as well. It starts with three calls. Psalm 95 starts in verse 1, in verse 6, and verse 8 with these calls to us. The first call is this call to worship God with our emotions. It uses language of singing with joy, of shouting loudly, of giving thanks and extolling him. In verse 6, then we're called to, to worship God with our will. The language shifts to come, bow down, kneel before him. See, these acts require an act of the will. It requires intention and choice. And then thirdly, in verse 8, we're called to worship God with our mind or our thinking, our logic, our reasoning. The psalmist uses language of pondering and thinking and reasoning. He says, today, listen and consider what your ancient relatives did or didn't do, and then respond with trust to the one who's worthy of our trust. It's about abandoning what we know to receive what God knows. That's what acceptable worship is. And we need 
all three responses. If we only worship God with our emotions, then it becomes emotionalism. Maybe you've seen this before. It's, it's a lot of hype and smoke and mirrors, but it doesn't last. And if we only respond with our will, then we can demonstrate external obedience, but our hearts can remain far from God. And if we only respond with our mind or our reasoning, we can become religious, but also rigid and hardened. See, worship is about grasping a truth about God and then letting that truth strike the center of our being with everything. It could thrill us. It could comfort us. It could change our mind. That's when it moves from our mind actually to our heart. See, in order for us to worship with our mind and our will and our emotions, they have to be moved. They have to be connected. If I'm just merely learning a truth about God, we could call that theological education. It might sound good, but it's not worship. I can intellectually know that God is good and sovereign, but if I'm trusting in my own abilities, then, then I'm going to be worried about something that's coming up this week. And so I worship when I realize that I'm not trusting God. I'm instead trusting my own self. And then when I'm moved emotionally, when I pull my affections away from my own reasoning to God's sovereignty, his grace, his goodness, then I'm making a change. Now, that focus is worship. Now, it might respond with some emotion. You might cry. You might not. It depends on your personality. I will probably cry. But not only our emotions are affected, but our will is affected when we choose with our mind to abandon that thinking and instead choose to trust God next time. That's worship. Psalm 95 not only shows us those three things of the emotion, the will, and the mind, but also what to recognize as most valuable. Consider what some of the words of Psalm 95 says. It says that the Lord is our rock and our salvation. The Lord is this approachable God. He is the great God, the Lord above or King above all gods. He holds the depths of the earth, the land, the mountains, and the seas belong to him. He is our maker, and he's our God. He's our protector and our provider. All of these descriptions are causing us or invite us to think about God as most valuable. Now, it's one thing to intellectually agree with that. It's another thing to personally accept and experience that. So something to ponder, maybe you can even write it in the comments. What are you recognizing as most valuable these days? It might be getting to see people in person. It might be out of a stay-at-home order and actually getting to move around and live, even if things still feel limited. You might be saying, I, I'm still having no problem realizing that God is almighty and he's most valuable. However, you might say, you know, if I look at my time and I look at my money, uh, it might be tracking COVID 
or COVID-related deaths. I can't stop watching the news. I just got to find out what the numbers are. It could be pursuing racial justice. It could be the return of professional sports and just getting to watch something that seems normal. It could be this desire to be in person for education or be in distance for education, and that becomes most valuable. Or possibly mental health, physical health, or a flourishing economy. All of these things can be something that we would consider valuable, maybe even most valuable. Nahum 1.7 says it like this, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Now, you trust in something you deem as valuable. So sometimes, I'll just be honest, I trust food to give me strength. We're moving stuff out of here. I brought some lunch so that I wouldn't, you know, that I would have the energy to be able to move that stuff. But sometimes I just trust food to give me comfort, especially ice cream. Sometimes I trust watching a show to take my mind off things that really not just things, but all the things in my life that I can't control, that I don't like, or that I don't have answers to. I know there are people that trust in alcohol to give them that comfort or that strength or trust in drugs for that, that strength. Others of us might trust in work and they might even work themselves to the brink and breaking point because they think that it will bring them to the place they want to go. And what about working out? Think about how much our culture values physical beauty and external appearance. That can pull physical fitness and physical health to this point of being most valuable. Now, some of those things might be more valuable than others, but I want you to consider that every one of them competes in our lives for what is most valuable. And whatever is most valuable is what we'll trust in and we'll sacrifice for and we'll abandon our lives to. Which brings us to our third reading. Genesis 4, 3 through 5, since it was a few minutes ago, we'll, we'll show it, read it again. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So we're not really given a lot in this story, so we have to go with what we have. It's kind of like a word problem in math, which is super fun. You got to start with what you're given. It, at least it's fun for me. We're given the names of the two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, Cain in Hebrew is this word that means gain or acquisition or possession, something I hold on to. Abel's name means vapor, as in breath. And if Abel's, if this story was a movie, then Abel wasn't given much screen time. His life was short, actually like a vapor. Now think about what you can do with vapor. You can't hold vapor. You can pretty much just breathe vapor. 
Yet, if you've ever smelled something that's been sweet or smoky or otherwise pungent or aromatic, you know that in that moment, the best thing you can do is simply inhale that, experience it fully and presently before you miss it. It's beautiful. It's precious. It's not something you can hold. So we're given that, and we're given that the two brothers brought something. They both brought something. Cain brought an offering. It's translated in this Hebrew word as minha. It's a word that means gift or tribute or offering. And the offering or gift or tribute that he brought is some fruit of the ground. Now, Abel brought something too, but the word minha is not translated. It's not in the phrasing. It's that Abel brought of the firstlings and the fat portions, which sounds kind of weird, but the firstlings simply mean the firstborn of the herds that season. Whatever he was flocking or shepherding, whether it's calves or lambs or goats, that he brought the first of those and of the fat portions means the best, the plumpest, the choicest, the biggest, the strongest. So in other words, he brought the first and the best of what he had. So now consider what you're saying when you bring a gift to someone. It doesn't even have to be God. Just maybe you're going to a birthday party and you're bringing a gift. What are you saying when you bring that gift? I would say it depends. Now, maybe you find general gifts on clearance all year round. You keep them in a specific place in your house so that when you remember it's someone's birthday, you go to your gift closet, you pull out something that you think will work. It might not be what they want or even what they need, but you, you have a gift, so you bring the gift. Or you might put careful thought into a gift for a specific person. You might think about it for months. You might listen closely to them for months before their birthday, wondering what they say they want or what they say they need or just observing their life and then finding something and then bringing that in a meaningful way to that person. I think there's a difference. Just like I think there's a difference between what Cain brought and what Abel brought. I think it says something when you bring your first and your best to God. Would you consider just for a moment what that might mean? When I bring my first and my best before God, I think it says I honor you. I value you. I cherish you. I want to be with you. Like I love you and I care about you. I want to make sure that you have what you need, even if it's a sacrifice for me. Because I trust that when I offer my first and my best, that I'll either have what I need, or I can come back to the one who protects and provides for me to give me what I need. So whatever else it is, it's definitely a sacrifice. And watch what happens when someone gives a sacrificial tip just for a pizza. Check it out. Pizza. Uh, what did we get? Did we get one? Think it'll be enough for everybody? <laughs> you know, there's miracles that Jesus has performed where he's taken, but all right, how much is it? 5 dollars 
What's the, well, thank you. What's the best tip you've ever gotten? Like $10? Well, here's, 50, this is $15, so $5.99, so that's like a $9 tip. Um, that's for, Tucker's going to share that with everybody. Natasha, um, we've been teaching our church this last month about being generous, and so we did something special for you today. We took up a special offering for a tip for you. So that's your tip, $9. This is a gift we're going to give you, okay? All right, so from our three services combined, we collected this much money. This is 1000 I wouldn't put you on the spot and ask you to give a speech <laughs> then, but I hope this, it's $1,046 to be exact, and I hope that uh, this can help you. I don't know what's going on in your life. Or... It will help a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Okay, I held back the tears. But did you notice that woman's total abandonment in that moment? She just grabbed the pastor and hugged him. And I didn't know if she was going to let go because that's what worship as a sacrifice does. It causes us to abandon our faculties, abandon what we, we would normally restrain ourselves for and, and move to this place where we just respond with all that we are. Now, only God knows if that church worshiped as a sacrifice in that moment, but it was definitely a sacrificial gift in this woman's mind. And my point in sharing it was wanting you to see the total abandonment, the whole change in her mind, her body, and her spirit that that caused in that moment. And that is worship. That is acceptable worship. What is our posture when we bring an offering to God? an offering of praise, an offering of money, any offering of sacrifice. Because God knows our posture. He knows our heart. The letter to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11:4 that it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, that he was right with God. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Though Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us today by his example of faith. See, even though Abel's life was short, even though his screen time was limited, Abel's life in this moment has continued to reach generation upon generation upon a generation. That worship as sacrifice changes not just his life, but our lives today. And as I consider that, as much as I want to be like Abel, I think I'm far too often like Cain. I bring my gift. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small. But I have to consider now, after listening to this, if it's a sacrifice. Does it really cost me something? Does it change my being? 
See, when we worship, we're to bring our whole selves alive and holy before God, not because we love sacrifice or because we love obligation, but because we're considering what God has done for us. It's in view of his mercies, like Romans says. Remember that guy, Paul, who wrote that, hated Christians. He sent them to prison. He watched them get beaten. He approved of their murders. And then he was transformed. And when we consider that a guy who imprisoned and beat and tortured and killed Christians was transformed by Christ, and he says something about worship, we need to listen. Because then you and I can be transformed too. See, God, in his abundant mercy and his unfailing love, gave us his first and his best when he sent Jesus to us. He offers his one and only son to redeem humanity. And when I consider that I would be dead in my sin without Jesus, that I could be successful and wealthy and influential and maybe even generous, but if I didn't have Jesus, I would be dead. I would be cut off from God. That changes the way I worship. It changes the way I live. Would you consider that today? That no matter where you are or where you're listening from or what's happened in your life or what you're waiting for or how much you know about worship, that you need Jesus. I need Jesus. I still need Jesus. And I can remember the first time that I cried out to Jesus. And when I truly did, he truly accepted me. There was this weight that was removed from my life. I could feel the sin being washed away and I could feel the approval of God for the first time. And boy, did I weep. It changed my whole being. And it can still change our whole being. So does it feel like you are distant from God right now? Maybe you feel like God has rejected something that you've offered, like he rejected Cain. Well, technically, he didn't reject Cain. He rejected Cain's offering. And today, not only did he not reject Cain, but he pursued Cain and he tried to restore Cain. But I think Cain thought that God was out to get him. And maybe you're in that place too. Maybe you feel like God has rejected you, but remember, he's only rejected something you've offered. He's never rejected you. You may have moved. God has not moved. And as you look at your life, would you consider if he's first or not? Is he truly what's most valuable? Because if he's not, then whatever you bring for worship will not be enough. But maybe in this moment, you send someone or something pulling you towards God. That something is God's redeeming love. It's his unfailing love. It's his abundant love. And that someone is the Holy Spirit pulling you towards him because God wants you in his life, in his presence, in, in his family. He wants the kind of embrace that that pastor and that pizza delivery person experienced. An embrace that can change your whole life. See, I don't think you and I are, are here by accident. I think God is still with us, even in the midst of virtual church, in distance learning, or wherever we're at in the world. God is still here. He's still with us. He still loves us. And he still pursues us through his perfect son to be our sacrifice. 
But it's up to us to recognize what that's worth, what he's worth, and then respond with all that you are. And if you're in that place today, if God is pulling your heart, you might say, God, I'm not putting you first. I accept that. I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I am cut off from you and that I need a savior. And so today, by faith, I turn towards you, Jesus. And the Bible says that when we call upon him, that he will hear our prayer. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek him and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. Not only will you find him, you will be forgiven by him. He will make you new. He will transform your life. And then you will start, like we're learning about in this series, to live in worship like we've never lived before. So let's respond in our worship today with a sacrifice of praise. God, we surrender to you. We trust you. We give our lives to you because you are the good God who creates and remakes and redeems our life. And no matter what we've done or where we're at today, we bring ourselves before you. May you accept our lives and our praise as sacrifice to you. Amen.